Today, we are going to talk about how you can support foster kids without becoming a foster parent. Let's talk about it today on Fostering the Future. Welcome to the Fostering the Future podcast, a show about all things child welfare, dependency, adoption, and foster care. Here are your hosts, veterans in the world of child welfare, Jack and Kat. We believe that every human has incredible and equal value regardless of what side of the courtroom we sit on. We hope that everyone feels welcome and accepted here on Fostering the Future. Make sure you follow us on Facebook or Instagram as Fostering the Future Podcast, or check us out on our website at fosteringthefuturepodcast.org. Foster parenting is not for everyone. There are a lot of ways to support foster kids in the community other than foster parenting. Let's talk about these valuable partnerships today. So one of the ways you can support foster kids is by becoming a guardian ad litem. So what is a guardian ad litem? Well, they describe themselves as a volunteer appointed by the court to protect the rights and advocate the best interests of a child involved in a court proceeding. The volunteer guardian ad litem makes independent recommendations to the court by focusing on the needs of each child. They advocate for the best interest of the child they represent. A guardian ad litem is an individual who's appointed by the court to advocate for children who come into the court system primarily as a result of alleged abuse or neglect. So in short, what do they do? They're an unbiased third party advocating for the best interest of a child. Okay, so what they do on a regular basis is they come out and they carry out the following activities once, once a child is on their caseload. They visit the child, they keep the child informed about court proceedings, they gather independent information on a consistent basis about the child and about the parents in order to recommend resolution that would be in the best interest of the child. They review records. They interview all appropriate parties involved in the case, including the child or children. And they determine whether a permanent plan has been created for the child in accordance with federal and state laws and whether appropriate services are being provided to the child and the family. So I have met some really wonderful guardian ad litems in my time with the foster care system, and I know you probably have too, who have gone above and beyond in this process. Yeah, 100%. You know, I've, I've seen such a wide range of guardian ad litems that come and visit the kids that are in my home that, you know, you kind of see which guardian ad litems are just checking off a box and which ones are really there to support the kids. I, I mean, I have, I've talked to some on the phone and I've thought, wow, I've known this child for over a year and I didn't even know they had a gal. <laughs> I've had kids that had gals that lived in my home and because they never came to see them or call me to ask about them, I also didn't know that they actually had a guardian ad litem. 
I also have worked with some gals that if I even mention, oh, I should, you know, th- we're doing this in therapy, I should probably get them a fire truck because they talk about the fire truck that used to come to the home. And then within a few days, I've got a fire truck toy on my Amazon doorstep so that I have all the tools I need to work with this child in therapy. I also, the same guardian ad litem, also provided me with an ambulance, uh, a garbage truck toy, an ambulance toy, a skateboard toy, um, pictures of the biological family, because I mentioned that might be helpful, picture frames. You know, there are so many ways you can go above and beyond, and those kids were... Uh, that helped them so much because they were able to work through so much more trauma because she had resources that I was not provided with by my job. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Um, I, You know, one of the things about the volunteer guardian ad litem is that they're part of a team. Usually there's a guardian ad litem attorney, a CAM who oversees the guardian ad litem, and then the guardian ad litem that actually comes to the house. So really the purpose of this, you know, man on the bottom of the totem pole, if you will, is to be the one that has a relationship with the child and actually gets to know them and reports that to everybody in the court and to their cam and to the attorney because they're the only one that really knows the kid. So when I have a guardian ad litem that has never met the kid, I'm, you know, I'm always like, well, how are you going to advocate? How are you going to tell the cam and the attorney what they need? But... You know, if their purpose is to create a relationship and if you're considering becoming a guardian ad litem, you know, going and just checking off a box, like, what a waste of time for a job you're not getting paid for. That's so true. And, you know, I've had ones that have gone above and beyond at um, certain uh, staffings by saying, you know, it's been more than 30 days for this. Why haven't we scheduled, you know, a termination? It's been you know, so much time for this. Why haven't we proceeded with, you know, uh, such and such? These kids have been in care for too long. They need to be adopted. And it's really been the guardian ad litem that has made sure that termination of parental rights and adoption has happened in a timely manner. Otherwise, I really do think some kids would sit in foster care for just years and years and years and years, if not for the guardian ad litem program. I 100% agree. So I would say one of the biggest ways a guardian ad litem can go above and beyond um, in in supporting kids in foster care is to advocate, 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 advocate. Um, just like what you're talking about, one of my children that I have since adopted, his case just kind of sat. And even though, you know, it, we went months and months and months and over a year at times without even having any contact from the biological parents, the court was not moving anything forward. And the very month that the guardian ad litem got assigned, they finally started moving forward on trying to find my little guy permanency. So, you know, it's sometimes it's hard and scary to be the one to speak up and to say, hey, we're not doing something this kid needs. But I think one of the biggest things that a guardian ad litem can do is to use their voice, be brave in court and with their cam, and to just advocate. Um. What are some other ways that you could go above and beyond as a guardian ad litem? Well, I think one of the big things for me is like the guardian ad litems that create actual relationships with my kids really, you know, it's a result of those relationships that make them really go above and beyond for these kids. 
and they can't have a relationship if they don't visit them. So the guardian ad litems that like you never hear from or that come just when they're supposed to on the last day that they're allowed to and they're in and out, those are not people that are going to create relationships with the kids. The kids know that they're not a priority to them and uh, you know, the lack of relationship is going to you know, not give you as much trust from that child and the child is not going to tell you as much. So I would say one of the things is visit as much as required and if not more and take time with the child and make your visits a visit instead of just a check mark. So, you know, I've got this one guardian ad litem and she, I was actually talking to her today, even though I don't have any of her kids anymore. Um, she is incredible and, you know, beyond being a guardian ad litem, I just felt like she was a mentor and a friend to the foster child that lived in my home that was assigned to her. And, you know, to the point where when this child would have meltdowns, we would call this guardian ad litem and she would help me talk this child down. Um, you know, and that only happened because of the relationship that she had with this. And this was a um, an 11 year old girl who had been in foster care for years and didn't trust anybody and didn't like anybody and told me all the time that her mom was, you know, the only one who would ever love her or that she could ever trust. But this guardian ad litem created such a relationship with her that, you know, to the point where we would call her and she would help us get through the hard times. So, wow. yeah, that I mean, that's a big thing. Visit and, and when this guardian ad litem would visit her, like she wasn't stopping in and stopping out. A lot of the time she would take her out for lunch or, you know, they would go buy something. Um, she made this child feel so loved and special and, and still does because she's still assigned to the case. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that, you know, when you go above and beyond like that, you really are making a difference in that child's life because they have tons of people that come and ask them questions and pop in and out and, you know, that they feel like a checklist to them. But if you're creating a relationship with this child, um, and mentoring them, you know, it makes all the difference in the world. That's so true. And just to piggyback off of that, I've I've worked with some guardians who did not spend much time visiting the child, especially this year with COVID. And um, but I've been with them on you know various meetings like adoption staffings, and was really in awe of how much knowledge they had about the case in general, and how much they had to offer. So you know, case turnover was high, and even supervisors had turned over repeatedly three, four, five times. Case management has turned over three, four, five times. Sometimes all that's left who's knowledgeable about the case is the guardian ad litem. So, you know, in this particular case that I'm thinking of, I had never met the guardian ad litem. I didn't know who he was. I'd known this child for almost a year. I'd never met him. I think he maybe visited the child once or twice this year, probably because of COVID. However, he was the only knowledgeable person about the case which is really a valuable resource um, to be the only warm body who is able to provide any information about the case. So that can be really helpful. So there are definitely both pros and cons to being a guardian ad litem. So let's talk about some of the pros to being a guardian ad litem. So I think it's a huge way to advocate for a child in care, to mentor a child and inspire them. Um, but really, as I said before, you can make a child in care feel like they have someone who loves them and cares about them and that they feel special. And, you know, these kids in care, they not that they're, 
they don't feel that from their parents because they do, no matter what experiences they've had with their parents. But, you know, going through what they're going through, having more adults care about them and make them feel special is is huge. It's true. And I think that um, as a guardian ad litem, you, you're not going anywhere most of the time. You know, you're not going to put in your 30-day notice anytime soon. Um, you're not going to quit like, you know, most caseworkers. The turnover is so high. You, you see them, you know, every so often, every few weeks or once a month or so, and um, you're available by phone. The, the commitment is generally higher, so you get to be like the fun aunt or uncle to these kids, and you get to fill them up with candy and then drop them back, <laughs> up, drop them back off at their foster parents' house. Indeed. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I really didn't realize that one of the more interesting parts of becoming a foster parent would be going to court and learning how the court system work and really learning more about the community and uh, people that I wouldn't normally interact with or, you know, whether that be the attorneys or the judges or, you know, my kids' parents. Uh, so as a guardian ad litem, that's one of, uh, I feel like that's one of the cool things about it is you get to learn about your court system. You become more informed about your local community. That's so true. And, you know, you get to say I made a difference in the life of somebody, you know, and you get to be involved even after the kids go home sometimes, which is really nice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's definitely the case. And even um, my my three children that are adopted from foster care, I still have relationships with all of their guardian ad litems. And, you know, I touch base with them. They touch base with me. And, you know, for a long period of time, um, my... Uh, second oldest son, his, the one constant in his life was his guardian ad litem. Like she had been with him forever. And, you know, he had been in care since he was born and spent two years before he moved in with me in, um, other foster homes. And she was, she was somebody who was with him and knew him. And so, you know, even at this point, she's so knowledgeable about the family and the history that, uh, you know, she's a great resource. And, you know, we just adore her and, and love that she uh, fought for our kiddo. So we are going to be honest here at Fostering the Future, and we're going to also talk about the cons of being a guardian <laughs> ad litem. So what are some of the cons of being a guardian ad litem? So it, it can definitely be heartbreaking because um, you become invested in the kids. Um, and then when things may not go in the direction that you think is the best for them, it can be frustrating. It can be heartbreaking. Um, you know, dealing with kids who've had trauma, you know, sometimes isn't the most, you know, you're not going to get a lot of thank yous and accolades from them in general. So, you know, you don't. And then sometimes, um, kids have more trauma in care. You know, sometimes you, you come to find out that more things happen to them that are traumatic to find, you know, traumatic to hear and you have secondary trauma and that's tough. And it's, um, you know, it's a tough call to take. So um, it can be a very heartbreaking position to be in. Sure. Um, I think one of the other cons of becoming a guardian ad litem is that, honestly, even though these kids don't live with you and you don't have them 24-7, being a guardian ad litem is a pretty big commitment. There's a lot of paperwork involved. There's travel involved. Um, you've got to do 30 hours of training in the state of Florida before you can become a guardian ad litem. And then every year you have to do another 12 hours. 
Uh, honestly, to me, I really like taking classes and learning, especially about trauma and, you know, how I can parent better. So for me, maybe that wouldn't be a con, but, it, you know, it is a pretty big commitment. It is a big commitment. So, you know, if you think 30 hours of training, that's almost a week off of work if you have a job. So that is a big commitment. Um, but some, like you, might like it. You never know. <laughs> You're a weirdo. Like Definitely. Jack, you know, I like it. Yeah. Um, so there are some, there are definitely some good guardian ad litems and there are some bad guardian ad litems. And I think that when foster parents are thinking about asking for a guardian ad litem for their foster kids, this is often their hesitation. They're thinking, oh no, who am I going to get? And so we've had some experiences with some of these guys. Do you have anything you want to share? <laughs> well, sure. I will say that I really have only had one negative experience with a guardian ad litem program. Um, I have had guardian ad litem after guardian ad litem that just made our world brighter, that loved on my kids, that advocated that for them, that, you know, were just emotionally and personally invested in these kids' lives. And I felt like, you know, we were all on a team together to try and, you know, help these kids get what they needed and get permanency. Um, so, you know, I've, <laughs> some of my guardian ad litems are just some of my favorite people in the world. Um, and, and out of, I've had like 50, 60 kids in my home. I can only tell you one bad experience. And to be honest, I've had a lot of guardian ad litems that were just, you know, checking a checkbox. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, the, I guess the one negative experience I had was, uh, it, this case had an older gentleman who was a guardian ad litem on it. And I felt like this gentleman didn't have uh, healthy boundaries. And um, I felt like sometimes he was a little inappropriate with the girls and, you know, would have them sit on his lap and, um, you know, just was a little too handsy with them. And um, also very aggressive with me, which honestly set off red flags for me. Sidebar, you don't have to work with the Guardian Ad Litem program if you're a foster parent. Right. And... Honestly, in this situation, I went to his superiors and unfortunately, because of his relationship with them, my reports went nowhere and uh, I had to keep going up the chain until I went about as far up as you can get and uh, express my concerns, which, you know, was all fine and good because I was able to protect the girls from having any interactions with him. However, I definitely received some retaliation from that. Because, you know, a few months later, one of his superiors that he has a relationship with uh, ma made some comments about maybe I needed gift cards for clothes because the girls were dressed ratty when she visited. And on this particular day, um, Jack's ring camera caught the girls coming home from school in their brand new school uniforms. Yeah, and because of COVID, we were doing visits outside, and I actually have the recording on my ring camera that records to the cloud of her standing there talking to the girls, and they were in their uniforms, their school uniforms. It was PE day, and, uh, you know, they had just started going to school in person, so I had literally bought them, like, less than a month previous. So, you know, it was clear that it was retaliation, and... You know, I expected that a little bit, but, you know, and, and in the end, you know, that was one bad experience when I've had over, you know, 50, 60 foster kids and 
never had a bad experience with a gal other than that. And the girls were safe. I haven't had very many negative experiences. I've only had a few just kind of catty experiences. And you have to remember that, um, you know, people come from all walks of life. And so I've had a few um, just really bossy guardian ad items. I had one once that explained to me that she wasn't sure if I was aware, but part of my job as a mental health therapist was to supervise visits between kids and their parents. And so, um, isn't that only when it's court ordered? Yeah. And that's just rarely court ordered. So yeah. I generally do that like for one kid at a time. I'm doing it for one kid right now, but, um, I have been in this field for like, I don't know, 16, 17 years. And so I think about 10 years ago, I would have like laughed and argued with her, but I just said, thanks for letting me know. You know, I would be glad to do it, you know, until you find someone else. Um, but just noted that she was, you know, dishonest and passive aggressive and was far less, I was far more reluctant to work with her in the future because she was so manipulative. And, you know, later found out she was a pretty new gardening ad litem. And so um, I've had a little bit of that. I've had some people that were uh, bossy, manipulative, but my positive experiences have far outweighed any negative experience. Well, I'll tell you, I, I was talking to two of my favorite people on the planet today, and they're both guardian ad litems. No. That would be me. <laughs> of course, of course, Kat. But some of my favorite people on the planet are guardian ad litems, and I was asking them, you know, from your experience as a guardian ad litem, what do you feel are the pros and the cons of doing that? And, uh, you know, one of them said the pros are that you meet some of the sweetest children, you develop a relationship with them, you can offer guidance and friendship as they navigate the foster care system. And then the cons is that a good guardian ad litem does a lot of the legwork, gathering documents, school, doctor, therapies, IEPs. And I can tell you that this guardian ad litem is a good guardian ad litem because she, uh, you know, honestly, I think someone needed to pay her because she was doing everybody's job. Nothing would stop her from making sure these kids' needs were met above and beyond. Um, She also said a con would be that many obstacles sometimes hinder the progression of children returning home or finding their forever family. And her last con was that she said she feels like she's never able to do enough. Um, So, you know, that that uh, is one viewpoint of a guardian ad litem. And another one that I talked to said that the positives is that you can actually advocate for the best interests of the child if you've spent time and effort, and there's back to that, creating that relationship again, uh, if you have spent time and effort seeing the child with their bios or their caregivers, you can make sure that siblings have a relationship, even if they're not in the same household. And uh, you can make sure they don't get forgotten in school. And sometimes you can help them just by making them feel loved in a very unloving world. You can really make the world a better place if you fight hard. And, you know, the cons is she said that sometimes fighting the system um, and, uh, you know, trying to get the best interest of the child is sometimes a bit difficult if, um, you know, there are other uh, situations at play. So she said you have to talk loud and push back. And when you're finally heard, it is possible to get results that will give that child a good shot at a good life. 
Yeah. So, you know, I think uh, being a guardian ad litem is an incredibly admirable thing to do. And it's probably one of the most time consuming and biggest commitments in ways that you can help. But if you have time for it, you know, it's definitely a huge, I know that guardian ad litems have made a huge difference in the life of my kids. So that could be you. Yeah, it is a great position. That's for sure. What are some other ways that Foster kids can be supported by someone other than a foster parent or a guardian ad litem. Well, one of the things that we actually talk about a lot because of an organization that we're involved in is, uh, and you could probably speak better to this than I can, but all children in care have experienced trauma, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, even if it's a newborn that was removed at birth, you would think, oh, you know, what is the trauma that they've experienced? They haven't, you know, been homeless or abused or neglected, but the removal itself is is, uh, a trauma. Right. Even a a baby that's five hours old has been found to be experiencing the significant stress of being apart from their mother by, you know, symptoms of excessive sleeping and disruptive um, bowel patterns. You know, they, they all experience stress just by the removal, and so there is trauma there. So if, if we can understand that one of the big differences of children in care is the level of trauma that they've experienced, then obviously if we want to help kids in care, what is a good way to help them heal from that trauma? Well, one way is to, other than, you know, by providing stability, you know, by providing, you know, um, support and academics is to provide positive childhood experiences. And a lot of times foster parents need support in providing that for their foster kids. And so it can be really helpful if the community can step up and help provide these things for foster kids. And we can do this in various ways. So what are some of the ways that someone who's not a foster parent or a guardian ad litem can provide some of these childhood experiences that are positive? Well. Someone can help pay for something like ballet lessons, gymnastics, sports for a foster child who they might not otherwise be able to take those lessons because foster parents often have you know more than one kid and it's difficult to pay for those things for a lot of different kids. Okay, so uh, let's say I'm someone who wants to pay for a kiddo to, you know, be on a sports team. What do I do? Stand out on the street with some cash and say, hey, any foster kids, come here, take some cash. Well, I definitely would not recommend that. <laughs> so there are there are definitely ways you can do that. You know, various foster care organizations have um, child welfare boards where you can donate money. You can ask a local school if there are any foster kids that you can anonymously pay for to do an activity or take some classes. Um, you can donate to an organization like Caterpillars to Butterflies um, who specifically raise money uh, and they're a nonprofit to do things just like this. Um, and you know, on the same topic, you can call local high schools and see if there are ways that you can um, provide money for things like prom dresses and you know those are that's an age group that needs a lot of support for things like um you know class rings um uniforms for sports things like that and so there really is a lot of need there so speaking of some of these older kids uh something that you know i've thought a lot about and you know really concerns me is a lot of 
foster children get stuck in the system and because sometimes these court processes take so long to finalize that by the time these kids reach permanency the trauma they've experienced and their age is limiting on finding them a forever family so a lot of the times kids in foster care end up aging out so you know that's when you look at the stats for kids who've aged out of foster care how likely they are to you know have traumatic adult lives and you know the the low rate of them going to college and having careers what are some of the ways that we can support foster youth that are aging out oh and you're totally right like those stats are really high and and those years can be really tough for those kids so we can provide support to these kids by providing employment for them and in turn that employment can sometimes become kind of like a family for these kids and it can be almost um you know an example for them of what a family looks like and what work ethic looks like those examples can really be like a cookie cutter for them for life we can mentor them especially in the area of education or career training because you don't always have to go to college you know if you if your first job is at the auto shop auto body shop then you know that can be your forever job um, you can locate local organizations that help them start with independent living and there are definitely some of those out there that um, that have a, a, a passion for that and that's all they do and they do a great job with that yeah absolutely so one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about lately is um, education so you know, my sister's a teacher, my friends are teachers. Um, as an educator, I feel like you have such a first row seat to a lot of foster kids in our community. And I feel like that when you talk to a lot of kids, one of their biggest, um, like one of the most important people in their lives is sometimes their teacher, like the right teacher can really make a difference. That's so true. Um, Having an understanding teacher is really everything to a child because when a child comes into foster care, they really just immediately want to know that their basic needs are going to be met because they're in survival mode. And if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, the first need and the greatest need that a person has is the need for food, water, warmth, and rest. And so a child is really just scrambling immediately to know that they will have those things. And sometimes when they come into care, they don't know that they will have those things. And sometimes because of, you know, just instability in their home environment long-term, they continue to not know, even though they have a house full of food. And, you know, the, the second greatest need that a child has is for security and safety. And so um, when a child comes into care and they are going to their second or third school and they are not sure that they will have food, water, warmth, rest, security, safety, or just recently they didn't have those things. Um, and, you know, they're not quite sure that they still have those relationships with friends and family, the belongingness and the love that Maslow also says that we need. Then their last priority is learning. And so to have an understanding teacher who is really concerned with the whole child and not just the child who finishes 30 math equations in 60 minutes really is very helpful for that child. And 
can really get them to a point where they're where they are more likely to graduate from high school, to complete the school year, to be more willing to complete the tests they need to complete or complete the assignments they need to complete or really the priority would actually just be to learn. And so that really brings us to our next point, which is this is really one of the greatest tragedies of foster care. Not the greatest, but it's just really a symptom of how awful how awful foster care is. And that is that foster kids do really poorly when it comes to completing their education. In 2018, the percentage of foster youth who graduate from high school was 30 to 50%. And um, this is really, really dismal. Um, the percentage of foster kids who completed college was 3%. And one of the reasons that this is so discouraging is because um, your college education is paid for when you're um, when you're in foster care or when you were in foster care. And so the opportunity is there for any child who was in foster care. And only 3%, you know, were able to... Um, you know, we're able to do this. And so that doesn't mean that 97% were failures. Of course, lots of kids, you know, choose another route. But um, I think it's really just a symptom of how, you know, going to two and three schools a year and, you know, changing curriculums repeatedly, kids are getting behind. Um, I think that, um, Jack, you can probably speak to this more than I can. Well, yeah, sure. A lot of the times when kids come to my house, they've already been in, like, let's say two schools that year. Um, I remember as a kid having to switch schools uh, one time between uh, middle school and high school and how traumatic that was of, of making that change and going to a completely different curriculum. And if you think about these kids that are doing it multiple times per year, a lot of the time because of location, kids come to my house sometimes from, you know, an hour, an hour and a half away, and uh, I can't drive that far to bring them to school every morning. No one else can. So I'm going to have to move them for the third time that year. Yeah. And I just think, you know, as an educator, you can really make a difference in the life of a foster kid by helping them follow their passions, pursue education, and while that may not mean college, college is paid for. So it's not even a factor in whether they can't go or not is whether they can pay for it. So it's really just a matter of, you know, wanting it and pursuing it and working for it. So if you're an educator and can inspire them to do that and help them meet their goals and really build their confidence so that they can feel like it's something they can do, I think that makes such a huge difference. I think so, too. Um, another way that you can be a help to foster kids is to volunteer with foster organizations. And there are a lot out there. Sure. Um, most areas will have one or many foster closets. So a foster closet is a place that foster parents can go. Let's say you get a kid um, and you can't get to the store for whatever reason and, uh, you know, they need clothes or they need socks or, you know, whatever. There are foster closets where you can go and people will have donated clothes there for children and you can find some for the foster kids in your house. Um, there are so many in my area. And, you know, when I've when I've uh, helped out with some of them, I, I learned that there really are a lot everywhere. So probably wherever you live, you could find a foster clothing closet and volunteer there. 
I know it takes a lot of time to go through all the clothes and organize them Mm -hmm. and make sure they're all, you know, appropriate. And uh, you know what? If there isn't a foster closet in your area that you can volunteer at, maybe that's something that you can start. And that that would make a huge difference in the life of foster kids. It's true. And, you know, I have to say one of our local um, closets, I have run into her at Target buying clothes with her own money for this closet. And so, you know, if you, if it's even something that speaks to you at all, donate to these closets because these clothes go directly to these kids. Sure. You know, most of us, when our kids outgrow stuff, we, uh, find somewhere to donate it. We find a bin somewhere, but if you could find a foster closet to donate it, you know, that is going to directly go to kids who really are in need. Um, so, you know, you could volunteer your time at foster closets. You can, uh, donate your items to foster closets. You can ask foster parents that you know wh- what organizations support them and where you can volunteer. You can call a local foster agency or just Google. See who's in your area and what they're doing and volunteer your time because, you know, that's something that they all need. It's true. Um, you can do a Google search for organizations in your area that support foster kids There are tons. There are so many. So if you don't have time, you know, some people have very busy lives, but they want to do something to support foster kids. Well, maybe you can donate some funds there. um, As we were just saying, there are so many organizations that exist purely to provide something for foster kids. And if you find some, make sure, you know, that they're legit and, uh, you know, send some funds their way so that they can um, directly support these kids. Sure. And so the last way that you can support foster kids is something that we're going to talk about in our next episode. So That's right. So stay tuned on ways that you can support foster families. Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social. We hope that you join us again next time and keep on fostering the future.